And I think an example from Christian history of someone who lived this out uh, is that great Anglican priest, John Wesley. And uh, Wesley, he was, he was content with the most basic of things, with his basic needs being met. And he had a heart that he wanted to give more to the poor. And so he began to track his expenses and what he was living on. And the first year that he did this, he recorded how he was doing. He made 30 pounds in his first year. But he lived on 28. cost him 28 pounds to live that year. And so he gave away 2 pounds, 7% of his income. So then the next year, uh, his income actually doubled. He made 60 pounds that year. But you know what? He still lived on 28. And so that year, he gave away 53% of his, of his income. In the third year, he made 90 pounds. You know what? Guess what? He still lived on 28 pounds. 28 pounds. He gave away 69% of his income. That's amazing. And then his fourth year, he made 120 pounds. And you know what he lived on? 28 pounds. And he gave away 90, 92 pounds that year, which was 77% of his income. Later on in his life, Wesley became so wealthy. He was one of England's most wealthiest people at that time. He made a lot of money from book royalties and his sermons and things like that. And later on, he made 1,400 pounds. And then the money really got to John Wesley's head. And you know what? He decided to spend some money on himself. And he, and he spent a total of 30 pounds that year. He really got greedy, didn't he? That year, he gave away 98% of his income to the Lord. Randy Elkhorn says John Wesley's royalties uh, and his income at that time made him a person who about in our dollars maybe was about $160,000 a year, but he lived on $20,000 a year. And you might think, wow, that is so radical. But isn't that just an outworking of the true principles that we find in Scripture? Someone who took this so seriously that says, I, I brought nothing into this world, I can take nothing out except that which I give away to the poor and to the Lord. He knew this and he lived it. And many of us, we simply don't give more because we spend too much on ourselves. We, don't, we aren't generous because we're letting our expenses of our own life grow and grow and grow every year. And we don't set a limit to it so that we can be generous. Let me ask you this morning, when is your stuff going to be enough? When are your things going to be nice enough? When are you going to have enough things? Will there ever be an end to it? Does it not, do we, are we not just induced to accumulate and accumulate and buy and buy and buy? Friends, we need to set limits to what we, to what we spend on ourselves. At some point, we got to say we, we have enough. We have more than we need. We need to be generous. And I believe that Christians really need to embrace living by this maxim that I, I don't know whose quote this is, but it's, it's this. Live simply so others can simply live. Live simply so others can simply live. We all know there is great need around the world. People in dire poverty, people who don't have clean water, people who don't have clothing. And we can just let that stuff just go over our heads because we've heard it a million times. But how, how can we keep our standard of living, in, how can we keep increasing that when the world has so much need? I think we all need to adopt living simply so others can simply live. And when we do that, you will find that you are cultivating a contentment in your own life that will produce a joy and peace that we can only have in Christ Jesus. That's how we cultivate contentment. The second thing we must do to live richly in this life is to guard against greed. To guard against greed. Pursuing uh, contentment is great gain, 
Paul says, because pursuing riches is a dangerous trap. What he says in verse 9, he goes on this long, not that long, but he tells all these things about what money does. The rich fall in temptation, a trap, foolish and harmful desires. They plunge people into ruin and destruction. The, root of, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people have wandered from Christ because of money and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, I could, depending on how you count this, I think you could count that there are at least nine reasons in those two verses alone why Paul says pursuing riches and the love of money is dangerous. How would you guys like a nine-week sermon series on the dangers of wealth? <laughs> that would be pretty, pretty crazy, right? Uh, but Paul, he sees, he sees Satan behind this, the great tempter, that great deceiver who is, who is laying a trap for you. He's laying a temptation for you. And many people take the bait on a regular basis. They fall into temptation, which is exactly what we pray against every time we say the Lord's Prayer. But we so easily take the bait. Paul says it's, it's a temptation, it's a trap. It produces foolish and harmful desires. It ruins, our, ruins lives, brings destruction. It's so dangerous to our faith. Gordon, scholar Gordon Fee says, given Paul's instructions, in light of everything that Paul says, why would anyone in their right mind want to get rich? Why would anyone want that? It's so dangerous if we're not careful. We've got to be careful. So wanting to be rich in the world's riches and goods, it can steal our joy, it can steal our peace, it can steal our contentment, it can make you ineffective for the kingdom because our giving is so paltry and we're so consumed by the goods and by the things of this world. So I encourage you to watch out, to watch out because there's all kinds of traps out there. Advertisements, so social media, celebrity culture, TV shows, movies, HGTV, Mm-hmm. These are all things that can, that can lure us into a trap where we pursue the riches of this world, world and lose our contentment in Christ. I want to show you a video this morning uh, that talks about, or that shows, I think, how we can so easily get caught into these traps. So let's watch the video here on the screen. The baboons always have a secret supply of water and they're not going to tell anybody where it is. And when a Mahalahari ventures into the deep Kalahari on a hunting trip, he has to find water, because unlike the Bushman, he doesn't know how to make liquid from a root. But he has his own way of finding out where the water is. First, he laboriously drills a hole in a giant ant heap when he is sure a baboon is watching him, because he knows baboons are incurably inquisitive. Next, he puts some wild melon seeds into the hole and works them in so that they drop into a hollow. Then he saunters off, knowing the baboon is burning with curiosity. The baboon doesn't trust that human being at all, so he plays it cool. But he's dying to know what gives in that confounded hole. Finally, Mr. Inquisitive can't take it any longer. He's got to know what's in there. He reaches in, grabs a fistful, and now his hand's too big to come out. If he had the sense to drop the seed, he could free his hand. Now he lets go when it's too late. Wow. Isn't that power? That's crazy. I mean, they're so wise and smart to do that, but... Many of us, we fall into the same trap with money. 
that Satan has put, has put that trap out there, he's put that lure out there, and he has you so caught and you don't even know it. You're, and, you won't, and you won't let go of the money that you have. And if you just were simply to let go and say, God, it's all yours, you would be so set free in your life that it would produce so much joy and life and contentment that I don't think you could even believe it. But you're so stuck. Satan has you so stuck, gripping tightly. And for some of you, this, this sermon series, you know, it's, you know, you've been thinking about this for four weeks, and if you're caught in this trap, you, either you've, you've gotten defensive, you thought about, you know, like, I've, I actually, I'm actually doing okay, or you've been defensive about what you've heard, or it hasn't moved you at all. It has produced no change in the way that you think about your giving, or the way that you live, or the way that you spend your money, because you're so caught in the trap. And my friends, I want to see so many of you set free from this junk that keeps us caught in the love of money, which is a root of all kinds of evil. So I encourage you, let, let go this morning and be set free. Let the Holy Spirit set you free from this trap that Satan gets us in. So we need to guard against greed. Number three, we need to trust in God, not in treasure. Verse 17, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So there's, Paul's saying that there is something about having this world's wealth that often leads us to pride, that leads us to arrogance. Often it leads to being self-sufficient, that we have what we need. We don't really need to pray all that much because we're not dependent upon God for that many things, or so it seems. And so we, it leads to this arrogance. Um, and so you begin to transfer the hope and trust that you ha- should have in God, and you put it in the things of this world, your wealth, your securities, your retirement accounts, your th- all those things. And we talked about this in our, the first sermon of this series. Jesus talked about that there's, there's two masters, God or money, and you're going to serve one or the other. And suddenly when you put that trust in money, it's going to start shifting your hope in your heart towards money and the things of this world and not to God. And so, for many of us, I think we might be willing to admit, well, money, we might say, well, well, money isn't my God, but often our hearts and our actions can prove us wrong because of, how, because of how we live and how we trust and how we spend our money. And Paul reminds us that money, it's a poor God to trust in because it's so uncertain. Not only can you, uh, can you lo- uh, lose it all in this life, it's not going to go with you into eternity. And I love how we put that in verse 17. Command those who are rich in the present world. You're only rich for this world. You're only rich for this time. It's only temporary. You're just rich for this life. It doesn't mean it's going with you into the next. It all depends on how you use it. And so he says it's so uncertain. But then God, on the other hand, he is the rich provider. He provides us with everything that we need. He is our heavenly father. We are his sons and his daughters. And he is a good father who gives us everything that we need for our enjoyment. You know, don't you love that God made food to taste good? All that Thanksgiving food, you just say, we don't, we don't have to live in a world where food tastes good and that we enjoy it. But God created it in such a way that there are things of this world that we do get to enjoy, that our hearts get to delight in. And God created that for us. And so trusting God uh, and not in wealth, it doesn't mean that we have to renounce all of our possessions. I think I heard one per- person put it this way, Christians don't have to take a vow of poverty, but they do have to take a vow of generosity, extravagant, radical generosity. And I would add to that simplicity, because ge- good generosity is going to mean limiting what you spend on yourself, 
living simply so others can simply live. And when we do that, God's going to provide everything that you need, all the joy and peace that you need. And not only will God provide what you need, but it is he himself that is really what you need and what your heart desires. C.S. Lewis put it this way, he said, He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. If you have God in all the riches of this world, and there's another person who has God in nothing, you're on the same plane because when you have God, you have everything that you need for contentment and joy and peace in this life. So friends, trust in God, not in riches, and you will find everything that you need and the purpose that you were created for. And lastly this morning, number four, we must serve and give richly. If we want to richly live in this life, we must serve and give richly. So Paul says to Timothy, command your church, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves, again, in eternity, as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. I mean, Paul holds nothing back here. He, he, says, he says to Timothy, the pastor, he's told him to command the church to do this. That this is, this is what, what should be expected in the Christian churches. And I think what may happen for us is we may be tempted, I think, here to not see ourselves as very rich. We may be tempted to exclude ourselves from this command, from this category. But friends, if we have life's basic needs met, if we have food and clothing and shelter and we have extra, then we have some to give. And many of us, if we're honest, have much, much more than that. I mean, we're, we are rich from a historical perspective. We are far richer than anybody Paul was talking to, than any, anybody Timothy was talking to. We have far more than they could ever imagine. We are rich from a global perspective. There are some stats out there, which I think is fairly reliable, that if, if you make $30,000 a year in America, you are in the top 1.23%, top 1.23% of the world's earners. And regardless of that stat, I think it's easy to see that we are rich from a global perspective. We have far more than our brothers and sisters around the globe. And even beyond that, many of us are rich, uh, even in America, in our own communities. We have way more than we need. And that's not wrong, but it's what we have to do with it, what we are called to do with it, is what counts in God's eyes. It's what we are called to do with it. And so when the Bible talks about the rich, I think it'd be safe to say for all of us to pay close attention to pay close attention of what is required of us, what the Lord requires. So I say to all of us here, all of you who have more than you need, to serve and to give richly and generously and be willing to share and to let go of your money and your stuff and give it away. And frankly, this is easier said than done because the more that we have, it seems the harder that it is. Um, You know, a man once came up to Peter Marshall, who was a, a chaplain in the United States Senate, and the, the man came, came up to me and, he's, and he said, you know, Dr. Marshall, when I was making, you know, $20,000 a year, it was fairly easy to tithe. I, I, I could afford to give, to give $2,000. But now that I make $500,000 a year, it's pretty hard to give fifty. And Dr. Marshall thought about it for a while and he, and he didn't give any, any advice. And he said, yes, sir, I, I, I see that you do have a problem. I think we ought to pray about it. Would you pray with me? And so the man, man agrees to pray, and Dr. Marshall begins to pray, and he says, Lord, you see that this man has a problem with giving. I pray that you would reduce his salary back to the amount so that he is able to give. 
You see, when we have more, how much harder it is. In fact, you may be giving more than you used to 20 years ago, but percentage-wise, you're you're, you might be giving less because it's so much harder. It, it, it hurts a little bit more. And so we have to have the courage to give and give and give, especially the more that we have because it's a trap that pulls us in. And so people always ask, well, what percentage would, should we aim for? And, and I can't give you a law. I can't give you a thing that you must do, that you have to do. And people have different takes on this. C.S. Lewis said you should give until it hurts, until you have to sacrifice something, until you have to give something up. Um, but I love how uh, Rob Reed put it uh, last week in our community groups. And he just reminded, because we were having this discussion, not in our community groups, in our teaching Sunday. We are having this discussion about percentage, and he's, he just reminded all of us, it's 100% God's. It's 100% God's. The question is, how much do you want to spend on yourself? How much do you want to give away? That is the right attitude that we ought to have. And to say, Lord, it's all yours. What would you have me do? How can I steward what you have given me? So let me give you some parting challenges, some parting action steps. One thing I would really encourage you to do is to track your expenses, um, even just for three months, for six months, and aim to reduce your expenses in 2019. You know, basically any financial advice says spend less uh, than, than you earn. And the same is true for giving. You have to actually spend even less so that you have more to give. You have to track it more. In fact, one time, uh, Laura and I did this, and we found that we were uh, spending as much eating out as, as we were on our groceries a few years back. And we said, that, that is an issue that we got to address so that we have uh, more to pay down debt to do whatever we need to do. Do you find yourself ever wasting money because you simply can afford to do it? Do you waste the money that God's, oh, $5 here, a dollar here, whatever? Do you not keep track because you just have more than you need? We got to keep track of the money. We're stewards of what God has given us. So aim to reduce what you spend on yourself in this next year. The second thing I would, I would invite you to do is to challenge yourself to give more. Look at your giving, look at what you've been giving, and aim to increase it in this next year. I just want to invite you to consider this as an area of being a disciple of Jesus. Now, obviously, as a, as, as a pastor, I, I obviously hope that you give to the church and all things like that, but I'm not asking for that right now. I'm just talking to you about being a follower of Christ. Being a follower of Christ requires that we grow in our giving, that this is an area that we're required to work on. And so we need to look to those examples, like John Wesley, like a Rick Warren, who gave away 91% of his income, and so that we might be spurred on to becoming more like our Lord, Jesus, who taught this, who modeled this, who gave up everything so that we could have life. And the more generous we are, the more we become like him. So would you challenge yourself to become more like Christ by increasing your giving in this next year? And thirdly, for some of you, you need this, you need to pursue financial health. You know, some of you, you really need to get your finances in order. I don't don't know where you are, but this sermon series may have been difficult for you because you're caught in that monkey trap Satan baited you to buy into some things. You got some credit card debt and it's killing you. And you, need, and you need to get out. And if you need help, would you please let me know? We would love to get, send you to a class to uh, put together a class. We'd love to get you the help that you need. Um, and so pursue financial health this year. We want, we, want, we want to see you get out of debt so that you don't have that, that monkey on your back. And so that you can be free to give. And as we enter this Christmas season, this season of Advent, May our hearts be prepared to reflect on the most generous gift the world has ever seen, the gift of God's one and only Son, sent into the world for our salvation. May it inspire us 
to be a generous community in our world. Amen. So what we're going to do this morning for prayer is, uh, I really believe that we need to see victory in this area. That some of you need to be set free even today. Uh, you know, I just watched uh, um, A Christmas Carol last night. And uh, I just, I love that transformation that Scrooge has. Now, you, I don't think any of you are Scrooges here, but maybe your giving's been here and you, and you want it to go to here. I just want to see all of you just excited, just, just, just have that joy of giving because it's so much fun when you can enter into that space. And I believe we're not saved by the ghost of Christmas past, by all the Christmas spirits. We're set free by the Holy Spirit, right? Amen? And so what I invite you to do, I want you to find one person who, that, who you know, who you trust, and just to pray, I'm going to have a few things on the screen, I want you to pray over them, these things on the screen, that they would, that they would be, uh, that God would provide all of their needs, that they would be granted contentment and gratitude in their circumstances, that they would have victory over greed, that they'd be set free, that they would have a heart of extravagant generosity and wisdom to steward all that God has given. Friends, we need to pray for each other that we are set free. If you're new here, if you're visiting this morning, you know, you can take a pass on this and just pray by yourself. It might be kind of weird, so that's, that's okay. But I invite all of you, find one person, at, at most two, don't have bigger groups than three, because I want you all to pray for each other. And after we've prayed for each other, I'll come up and close us in prayer and lead us in the Lord's Prayer. But may we find the transformation that we need in Christ. So would you pray that for a brother or sister in the Lord right now?
about 30 seconds. Oh, Father, we give you so much thanks and praise that you have been so extravagantly generous to us. Lord, we've heard the story thousands of times of how you sent your son. But Lord, we, I don't think we've even begun to grasp the gift that that was and that is and that we have the gift of your very self. Your blood poured out, your body broken a once and for all sacrifice for everything that we've done. God, we're so grateful. We're so generous that all our sins are forgiven, that your Holy Spirit dwells and lives in us. And my prayer this morning is that you would set each and every person here free totally from the grip of money, that it would no longer be ever an idol in our hearts, that we would be on guard against greed, that we would be content in all the circumstances that you give us, that we would enjoy the things that you've given with gratitude, and Lord, that we would be extravagantly generous for the sake of your kingdom. God, increase the generosity of this church that the light that we are called to shine would shine even brighter in Wheaton, in Warrenville, in our community, that people would see what you're doing here and who you are. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we're asking your Holy Spirit to transform us as we leave this place. And altogether, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, the glory forever. forever. Amen.